I share that sketch with you of William Borden's life, uh, not so that everyone would say, oh, I guess we're supposed to sell everything and go overseas. That was not the application point. But it might be, because after the last service, John Carver came up and said, hey, by the way, we've sold everything and we're moving overseas next month, so we need you to pray for us. So if you're going to sell everything and go overseas, I'd like to see you after the service, and I'll just uh, be praying for you. The, the reason why I showed that is because I, I wanted to share and, and give us a picture of what it looks like to have an uncompromising commitment to Jesus Christ. No reserves, no other options, no retreat, not backing down, no regrets. Won't look back until it's changed. Absolute confidence. You know, this is what God wants for all of His children. The Lord wants all of us to have this life that is rooted in the care and the power and the plan of God. Now, that takes work on our part. God, God has been at work. He has provided for us to have this capacity to live fearlessly in the complete confidence that God would provide. But many struggle to do that. And so as, we, as we've been walking through this series and talking about what it means to be rooted into God's will and God's plan for our life, we've been studying uh, Peter. We've been seeing something he said in his epistle and then uh, something he experienced in his life. And we've been covering a number of topics. And today's topic is one that's uh, it's difficult for a lot of folks because it's so, so very practical. And it's one of those where, honestly, uh, people in my position have sought to take advantage of, of those who would listen to them. And so today I want to encourage you to just listen to what the Word of God says and then make your decision about how you're going to live. They want to talk to you about managing your money from an eternal perspective. And, and I want you to understand this is a faith conversation, although there are some very, there are very serious practical applications and, and there's some things that you know, you're going to really need to, to understand. I want you to understand, though, what I'm talking about is a tool. Money is a tool. Money is a terrible God. Serving money leads to misery. Serving God leads, leads to glory. Our God is a great master. Money is a terrible master, but listen to me. Money is a great servant. Money is a terrible master, but money is a great servant. If you know what it is, if you know what it's for, and if you are free to pursue God's will and God's purpose in it. Jesus talks a lot about money. We're going to look at a section of Scripture where he talks about money. Take out your Bibles, uh, and I hope you brought them, and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, of course, is the famous Sermon on the Mount. Lexi's going to come read for us verses uh, 19 through 34. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. As we look at Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34, let's read that for us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If in the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, but you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Amen. Thank you. I think you would be seated. Peter was one of the original disciples, apostles. He heard this sermon firsthand. He heard many of Jesus' sermons firsthand. The thing I appreciate about Peter is his practical approach to life and faith. And we can understand something of significance of, of what it must have felt like to have heard Jesus say these words. It may be difficult for you, some of you, to hear these words. And knowing what the topic is today, it may be challenging for you. And I, and I just want to encourage you this morning. Your God knows where you are. Your Father knows where you are in your, in your faith walk. And I want to encourage you uh, not, to, not to feel condemned and also not to feel proud. But to understand we're all where we are, but God wants to take us further. And, and one of the ways that we can really go further today in this aspect of our life is to understand this is an extremely practical matter of faith. This is a practical matter of faith. And, and here's my assumption. I want to share with you my assumption so you can at least know why I'm speaking the way I am. My assumption is that most of you are not managing your money with eternity in mind. I'm assuming that you're not. Now, some of you are. I'm assuming most of you aren't. Now, let me show you why. Let me show you current statistics as it pertains to tithing, as it pertains to, to giving to God. Only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing. That's pretty low. This is, so keep that number, 3 to 5%. Now, look at stat number two. When surveyed, 17% of Americans state that they regularly die. So somebody's lying or somebody's confused. I don't know which. But so you'll understand, tithing is taking the first 10% that we're tied as 10, taking the first 10% of what you earn and giving that to God. 3 to 5% do that. 17% say they do that. Uh, third, for Christian families making less than 20000 a year, 8% of them gave at least 10%. For families making a minimum of 75000 or more, the figure dropped to 1%. It's not about how much you have, it's the heart you have. We're talking about a heart issue this morning. We're talking about a faith issue. I'm saying have a practical view, faith-wise, when you think about managing your money. Uh, one in three uh, U.S. American Christians say that it is impossible for them to get ahead in life because of the debt they have incurred. That's why many don't give. Uh, five... If Christians followed the biblical standard of giving across the board, then $139 billion would become available every year for additional ministry work. Imagine the difference that would make in the world. Uh, six, 37% of people who attend church every week and identify themselves as evangelical don't give any money to their church. And so, 
statistically, a third of you give nothing, and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus. And so, want to think about where where are you with this? Um, seven. Ninety-seven percent of Christians who tithe make it a top financial priority to give to their local church. And then eight. People who tithe regularly typically have less debt than other demographics. Eight out of ten has zero credit card debt, and look at that, 28% of them are completely debt-free, including not having a mortgage. Now, let me again say, do not let this create pride in your heart or in a judgmental attitude about others, and do not feel condemned and don't feel judged. We are each one of us where we are. But I want you to understand my perspective. And the guy that compiled all this data... Um, what is his name? Just put that one up there. I can't remember his name ever. Yeah, Brian Clue. The weird thing is, it's funny, you talk about the practicality of it. The weird thing is, a tither uh, looks at that, all those statistics, and says to himself, well, I'm better off because I give. A non-tither looks at that and says, oh, they give because they're better off. Statistics show that it's just a heart issue. So I want to talk about this heart issue, this, this issue that, that we're all fighting with. And I want to encourage you to be very practical about it. Now, to be practical about it, you have to be realistic. You, and, and to be realistic, you have to understand reality. Many people are not looking at life realistically. You're looking at what the news is telling you. You're looking at, at, at what you're hearing in social media and entertainment. But you're not looking at reality. What is reality? The Bible clearly shows us reality. It shows us the broad picture of what's going on. The Bible's not a collection of stories or things. The Bible is a, is a single story with four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. We've gotten through three parts of the story. We are now on the other side of the cross from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are now waiting for Him to return. We're in between the rescue and the restoration. And what I want to encourage you to do is to live like that. Live like a blood-bought child of the King of the Heaven who is awaiting their King to come home to judge you for what you did with the resources He provided you. Live like that every day, every moment. Fearing Him, trusting Him, looking to Him. That's how Peter lived. How do we do that? Hold your finger in Matthew 6 and go over with me to 1 Peter. Let's look at what Peter said. Again, extremely practical in his approach to his personal faith. So what did he say? Talks about our lives and what they cost. His approach on this is important. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, again, he's so practical, and being sober-minded, look at things from reality, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is coming again. Be looking for Him. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't live as though Jesus hasn't come and died for you. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, again, anticipating judgment, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This world is not your home. You are journeying through a land where you are in exile. Your citizenship is in heaven. This world is not your home. Knowing that you were a very important word, circle that word, ransomed. I highlighted mine in yellow. Ransomed. A crucial word. From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things. You weren't bought with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Why? Underline that last part. What's the purpose of it all? So that your faith and hope are in God. Write this down and remember, disciples of Jesus are ransomed to freely pursue eternal treasure. And you might understand that, uh, underline that word freely, to freely pursue it. Not, not out of being compelled out of a, a, a sense of trying to make a deal with God. Freely. You've been ransomed. Now, what does that mean, ransomed? The Greek word there is, is lutron. It's the price paid for redeeming captives, loosing them from their bonds and setting them at liberty. In the New Testament, it applies spiritually to the ransom paid by Christ for the delivering of men from the bondage of sin and death. And so we have been ransomed. This, uh, this act of grace enables you and me uh, to, to live so that your faith and your hope are in God. Now, we have this hope. And it's a hope that, that is enduring, it is living, as we were talking about today. And, and, and what God wants us to do is to live in it according to God's design. We talk about three circles. We talk about what God wants for us. God wants, God's design, I want you to hear me, is freedom. God wants you to be free. Maybe you're not. You're, you're, you're living in fear. This is the brokenness. Where does this come from? Financial sin. You're not managing your money with eternity in mind. And because of this, you're, 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 you're scared. The only freedom and the way to, to gain access to what God wants to do is you've got to give up on yourself. You've got to repent, turn away. You've got to believe in the love and the power and the grace of Jesus Christ so you can pursue and recover God's design, which is freedom. As a disciple of Jesus, you have this freedom. It has been gifted to you. The Sermon on the Mount is God's way of showing us how to get freedom. Jesus frees his followers to pursue eternal treasure. So write it down. Let's go back to Matthew 6, and let's talk about what it looks like when you are free. What it looks like when you're a disciple of Jesus who has been free and, and, and is able to pursue eternal treasure. Write it down. First of all, you're going to prize what is eternal. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in the no, no. Prize what is eternal. Now, let's face it. Most people do not give because of one reason. I have already said it. Fear. You're afraid you're not going to be able to buy the stuff you want. Let's make sure we understand the distinction between need and want. Some of you are frustrated with God because you decided a want was a need, and now you're saying, God, you haven't provided for my needs. It's not a need. It's a want. Many of you don't give because you don't want to give up what you want. Many of you don't give because you want to win. You're afraid of what it's going to look like if you don't have all the stuff that everybody else has. So you don't want to give because you want to keep getting the stuff because you want to appear as cool and as important and as powerful as everybody else. Third reason you don't give is because you don't want to give up control. You, you know, to give means you're going to have to live by faith. You have to trust that God really is the God of the Bible and that you can trust and He's going to provide. And, and you have to live in that. And let's be honest. Most folks are afraid because we have, and I call them this, four idols. These are the things that drive us, all right? Four P's of human idolatry. 
the powerful temptations. Power, pleasure, popularity, and possession. This is why you don't manage your money from an eternal perspective. Because you want power, pleasure, popularity, and possession. You won't give because you're afraid you're going to lose out on this. And if you're honest, one or more of these is your true God. This is what you live for. This is what you're fighting for. It's why you get up every day. It's why you slug it out. It's why you keep going. Money is a terrible God. Money is a wonderful servant. Learn to master money, and it will serve God's purpose and you. But as long as these idols are in your life, you're going to miss it. Look what John said. First John, First John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa. That's intense. Think about what that means. If that's true, think about what that means. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God does not want us to live for power, pleasure, popularity, and possessions. He wants us to live for Him. Because He loves us. He knows what's best for us. He wants to free us. Years ago, I had a friend of mine whose son got, came home and was mad at his dad. He said, Dad, I'm so mad at you. And he said, why, son? He said, you know, so-and-so, his dad bought their family a boat. You are so tight and stingy that we can't have anything fun like that. You make as much money or maybe more than his dad, and he gave them that. He said, boy, come to my office. He pulled out his budget. It was readily available. He knew exactly where his budget was on his computer. He pulled it out and put it down in front of his son. He said, I want you to look at this. Here's where my money goes. First line, high, 10%. Then their bills. And his son said, whoa, that's a lot of money. He said, yeah, you people are expensive. And then at the bottom, there were other ministries that they were given to. I said, did he understand? He said, I don't know. He said, before he walked out of my office, he said, we give up things we want in order to give to work that changes people's lives for eternity. That boy still wants a boat, but I think he at least understands why his dad spent money the way he did. See, he, he, he has another treasure that he was prizing. It was something that was more important than him. Uh, George Beverly Shea, partnered with Billy Graham for years, wrote and used to sing uh, this song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Um, says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have his, uh, be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. What about you? What do you prize? What are you living for? What is your God? Those who are disciples of Jesus who have been freed to pursue uh, these, this, this eternal gift, this eternal treasure, they prize Jesus. Second, write it down. Disciples of Jesus who freely pursue eternal treasure perceive what is eternal. 
proceed. Now, if you're reading, if you were reading this before and, and paying attention, when you got to verse 22, there should have been something in your head that said, what? Now, look at this with me. Look, look close at your text. In verse 19, he's talking about treasure. You get to verse 24, he's talking about money again. What in the world is verse 22 and 23 doing in there? It's almost like he started like going on another topic. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is, is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What does that have to do with money? You know, I'm trying to put a nice, neat outline together, and this is the kind of stuff that shows up in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, let me tell you what it has to do with. I don't have time to unpack it. You're going to have to go back and make sure I'm not lying to you. Write down Luke 11 and 12. Luke 11 and 12. And in Luke 11 and 12, Jesus uses the same metaphor. And as he's using this metaphor, he says this. So watch out for greed. In chapter 12, Luke 12, he says it twice. Watch out for greed. Watch out for all kinds of greed. What is greed? Greed is an inordinate desire or dependence on money and material things. You have to understand what, what Jesus is saying here is, look, if you can't see the eternal reality because you're blind, and what is blinding you is the world. When you focus your heart and mind on material things, it makes you greedy. And when you are a greedy person, you're blind. You can't see all that God wants to do for you. This world keeps us from seeing that the world is passing away, that, that millions are living and dying without Jesus and suffering in hell, that Jesus has died to save sinners and will soon return to judge us. If you want to empty a room, go, go up to a group of people and say, man, you know we're going to die? No one talks about death. I mean, even funerals anymore aren't called funerals. You know, have you noticed this? Funerals are now called celebrations of life. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying nobody wants to call it what it is anymore. It's a funeral. Because nobody wants to talk about death. So all like this little boy I saw at the beach a few weeks ago was crying. I said, I get it, buddy. I don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave the ocean. And, and he said to his mom, no, mom. And he pointed to a sandcastle. He said, tomorrow it'll be gone. I want you to understand something. All of us are building in the sand. And the tide of death will soon come and wash it all away. And that's reality. And all that's going to matter is what was invested in what is eternal. And what we have in Jesus Christ is the freedom to, to perceive what is eternal so that we can, three, pursue what is eternal. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Here's the deal. You will either use money as a tool to serve God, or you will use God as a tool to serve money as your real God. Either way, you're going to serve something, money or God. Use money to serve God. Money is a terrible master. Money is a wonderful servant. Use it. How? Let me give you three things. Uh, how do we use money to serve God? Three easy ways. One, faithful giving to God's church. Give financially to God's church. Two, 
responsible budgeting to, to free the mind to focus on God. So many of you are stressed out because you don't even know where your money is. If, if, if the car breaks down, if you get the hospital bills, all those things, you, you're stressed because you don't know where you are financially. You don't know, uh, you know, what, what to do. You don't have margin because you don't have a budget. Three, contented living to be grateful and happy. Never have so many people with so much been so miserable. Why are our children's levels of depression increasing? Because they have social media and they keep seeing what everybody else has got. Why are Christians constantly feeling as though they're not rich? And by the way, you're rich. You say, I'm not rich. You don't think so? Let me take you to 97% of the rest of the world. Because that's, what, that's who you have more financial resources than. No one thinks they're rich, though. I do want to remind you that the people who look rich are not always rich. I saw the statistic and I had to share it because it shocked me. 74% of people go into debt to pay for a vacation. So just realize when you're watching all these things and people are doing all this stuff, remember that most of that stuff, listen very carefully, they don't own it, it owns them. Money is a great servant. Money is a terrible master. When you serve God with your money, there is great freedom, there is great joy, there is great life. Understand, if you pursue what is eternal, I wrote this down. If you pursue what is eternal, you will not always get what your heart wants, but you will always get what your heart needs through Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, one of the greatest things you need is peace. Years ago, when we first moved here, I had a beautiful blue Taurus. I loved that car. It was so good, but out of nowhere... It, it wouldn't start. It would start, and then I would, like, get mad, and I'd get back in, and I would think somehow, like, that helped, and it was dark. So I got to start one time, I was like, this enough. I'm tired of this. So I take it over to the dealership, and, and the guy was like, well, sir, Mr. Pettis, uh, we don't know what's wrong with your car. It's just it's going to start sometimes and not sometimes. <laughs> what do you do all day? So I was getting so mad. I got in the car, it wouldn't start, and I'm just like, you know, you don't get like, and then I laughed at myself. I thought, you forgot again. I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I forgot again. And I laughed and said, hey, God, your car won't start. What are you going to do about it? You want me to keep this or do something else? You know, because there, there was a point in my life when I gave it all to God. And I said, Lord, it's yours. And I'm going to trust you. And so there's this freedom when you're living in obedience to God financially that you can honestly say, Hey, God, did you see all those bills you got this week? What do you want to do about that? And hopefully the Holy Spirit will say, Well, let's go see that budget we wrote. Let's go see how I've been at work in your life to prepare for this moment. God is sovereign. We are responsible. The two work together. And it takes some work. So what you got to do is write it down. You've got to prioritize. you got to prioritize what is eternal. That's why Jesus says, look, do not be anxious about your life. Go to verse 25 and, 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 and underline that. That is a command. That is an imperative. <laughs> He's telling us, do not be anxious about your life. 
say, well, how, okay, how do I do that? Well, go down to verse 33 and underline that. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We've already talked about how fear keeps us from managing our money with eternity in mind, but um, this text really emphasizes that, that, that fear in us. Now, I just want to speak to this one more time to what's really going on in, in, in our lives. Every one of us are in one of these three categories right now. I want you to write these categories down. Survive, success, or significance. If you're in a place where you're trying to survive, you're trying to, you're in a place where you're trying to have success, or you're in a place where you're trying to gain significance. Okay? If you're thinking from a worldly perspective, you're not going to give and you're not going to manage your money with eternity in mind. Because you're so afraid. How am I going to pay my bills? Some of you millennials, how in the world am I going to afford insurance? And most importantly, my phone. I get it. Oh, God. Some of you are saying, well, look, I'm not, I can't be successful if i got to get 10% because, you know what? That guy drives this kind of car, and this person has this kind of house, and they wear this stuff, and they go to these places, because that's success. you got to make a choice. Some of you are worried that you're, that you're in a place of significance. Well, what am I going to leave behind? How am I going to be remembered? Am I, am I, le- I mean, when I die, I want all this stuff to go to them. I mean, and there's this, well, if, if it's all worldly, friends, it's on you, which means you're going to have to live with fear, which means you're going to have doubt. There's no peace. I'm going to wrap it up. There's more I wanted to say. I just want to, I'm going to wrap it up and I want to say this. Here's what it boils down to, guys. None of us in this room knows what we're going to face tomorrow. Not one of us. We think we know. We don't know. None of us, surely, none of us knows what's going to, what we're going to be facing this time next year. Some of you don't have the first clue is what your kids are about to walk into as they start school. Grandchildren. But my Bible tells me that God does. And He's working all things for good for those who love Him who've been called according to His promise. So here's the deal. Either you're going to trust in you, who doesn't even know what tomorrow holds, or you're going to trust in God, who holds everything in His hand. It's that simple. Do you want to build on sand and have nothing left? Or do you want to be a part of what God's doing that lasts forever? It's a real simple question. The application... It's practical. So here's what I want to challenge you with. First of all, this whole idea of giving and God's blessing and all that that comes with it, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, none of that matters. It doesn't apply to you. Because if your life is not under the authority of Jesus Christ and you're not forgiven by His blood, you have no hope anyway. But you can. And maybe this morning, what you need to do is say, God, I want to give you my life. Some of you are disciples of Jesus. You know it. I know it. God knows it. You don't have a budget. You're not giving regularly. If you are giving, you're not tithing. 
Here's what I want to challenge you to pray about. Do one of those three things. If you don't have a budget, sit down, first of all, and get a budget. And then start praying. If you do have a budget, look at your budget and, and look and see if you're giving a percentage. And start giving a percentage. Keep giving more each month until you're giving the minimum tithe, 10%. And grow in your faith. A man grabbed me after church and he said, please tell everybody, this is a faith-growing exercise. He said, my faith has never grown more than when I really started trusting in God for this stuff. Now, you have needs. There's not a person that's here in this room that's not battling a battle. So, ask God to provide. See, if, if your life is in Christ, here's what you get to do this morning. Hey, God... There's a problem in your life because my life is yours. What do you want to do about it? Here's, what, here's my recommendation. I'm going to pray and ask you to do this. So if you have any recommendations for God this morning, come get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, provide. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, at the end of the day, it really comes down to what, what it is that's most important to us. It's an issue of, of priority. It's really an issue of what do we trust? Who do we trust? If we, if we have the whole world and we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. It's, it's a sandcastle that will soon be taken away by the tide of death. But if we have Jesus, we can have almost no worldly thing and still have everything. I'd rather have you, Lord. And I think there's a lot of people here that believe the same thing. So we're going to sing to you about that. And then anybody who wants to come and pray, Lord, hear them as they come to talk with you. Come and pray as they sing.